Welcome to the third episode of Call Your Broker, where we attempt to educate consumers on all things insurance. I have with me today Matthew Schruck from Treadstone Risk Management and John DiMartino from Liberty Benefit Advisors. Say hello, guys. Hey, how's it going? How you doing? So today's episode is The Price is Right, or is it? How do we identify when a great price isn't buying a great insurance policy? So Matt, do you want to start it off? Give me some of the ideas of the best practices when presenting options, what you should be looking for when your broker is presenting the renewal options. Sure. Uh, the way I would approach this is uh, kind of three points, right? Uh, three ways that a broker can kind of uh, look at your proposal and present it to you. So the first of which is just going to be on cost. Uh, you see these commercials all the time. As independent brokers, it kind of makes us, you know, turns our stomach a little bit when we see Geico saying they're going to save you 15%. Uh, just as a side note, I, I love that they say that the average person that moved to GEICO saved 15%, but then they don't tell you about the millions of people who quoted with them that didn't move and didn't save right. anything. Um, but so the uh, you know the baseline is the broker that's going to present a quote to you that's just lower, not really talk about anything other than the price, and say, here, this is the best option for you. Uh, I think the, the, the second uh, type of broker, kind of the average broker approach that's out there is they're going to include some kind of coverage discussion with you associated with the cost of those proposals or that one proposal that they're putting in front of you. And the question is always, you know, is the insurance doing what you want it to do for the price that you're paying? You could always buy cheap, but is it actually covering you for what you want it to cover you for? And then the third, I, I would say, is probably the gold standard. Uh, an exemplary broker is going to bring you a proposal or multiple proposals, talk about the cost, but then talk about uh, the the total cost, you know, deductibles, uh, coinsurance, other costs that might arise as a result of having a claim. You know, you never want to have a claim, but if you do, what is it actually going to end up costing you out of pocket? And then also the support services that are included with it that come from either the broker themselves or the insurance company that the, that's presenting the option. Right. It's a different dynamic going from property and casualty to health insurance many times. On the property and casualty side, you might be buying policies year over year and never actually using them. Most of them are designed to cover these catastrophic claims that we fear, of course, but we don't have them happen, thankfully, every year. Whereas on the medical side, it's more of a use policy, right, John? I mean, they're going to be using it frequently. So you can feel differences in the policies and the changes you've made pretty quickly at renewal. Absolutely, Giovanni. Uh, on the benefit side, we really see uh, those types of brokers, um, but more so uh, we see kind of the first two. So shopping around just based on costs. Did I get a lower rate? Uh, but as we know, in the New Jersey public sector, on the benefit side, we have to do an equal to or better than match, mm -hmm. right? So most brokers will talk about, did I get the number? And is it equal to or better than what your current benefits are, mm -hmm. right? And that's in many ways uh, the standard in this marketplace. Uh, but what we're seeing less of and what we need to see more of is focused on strategic values, right? Mm -hmm. So yes, I got you the number that you needed, and yes, I, I matched the benefits, but where do we go from here? Is that the only type of cost control that we have? We match the benefits and we match the number? Uh, what happens three years from now? What happens if we have a bad year? Uh, an exemplary broker is going to focus on uh, strategic initiatives to help bend that cost curve over time. So there's a huge difference between uh, broker number one on cost and broker number three uh, on cost and value, for right. sure. So Something I think that gets missed a lot of times is uh, insurance, the way that it renews, the, the renewals are a percentage, right? It's not based off of a flat amount of money. And so even if you go off of a low starting point, that low starting point might have large 
percentage increases in year two, three, four, five, you might start a little bit higher and then be able to predict or, or reasonably expect that you'll have lower percentage increases in the out years. And that might actually mean that you're ahead in five or 10 years. Is that right? No, absolutely. And, and I think uh, we really touched on a, a bigger point there, Matt, is, is cost versus value. Uh, I think I think that's that's a huge issue uh, that the marketplace faces, right? Because we we want to go as low as possible. We we don't want to pay more money than we absolutely have to. Uh, but I think in New Jersey, anyway, there's been a few examples um, where where maybe that uh, came back to bite some people. I actually have a, an example of that happening in the New Jersey public sector. Uh, we were going out a few years ago and talking about switching one of our school districts on the commercial package side. Uh, to a larger joint insurance fund that had a, a better host of, of policies. The coverage was broader, uh, and the premiums, though, were almost identical. The current incumbent was going to be about the same amount of money. And we all know that when things are exactly the same, prices are the same, all things being equal, the reason to leave is almost nil. But when the coverage is better, and that's a job of the broker to convey how much better that coverage is, that's when we can then have somebody move for the same amount of price. So in this instance, um, there was a large deductible on their flood insurance policy if they had been with this new, uh, larger insurance group, right? So uh, we're talking about $500,000. They were buying a government policy for their flood risk, uh, and with their current carrier on the property side, there was no flood coverage over that $500,000 that they were given uh, from, the, from FEMA. So if they had moved to this new program, they would have had $10 million go over that $500,000 worth of coverage there. Uh, so they'd have $10.5 million worth of coverage. The decision ultimately was made because the premiums were the same and the broker in that instance had not done the job of conveying why this newer product was such a better place to be that they ultimately stayed with the incumbent. A claim ends up happening. It was about a million and a half dollars, $1.3 to $1.5 million, and $500,000 was paid out by the FEMA flood insurance. But the rest of it was borne by the school district. Uh, they took that one essentially on the chin, whereas had they had been and made that move you know, two years earlier when they had the ability to, the entire claim would have been covered. So it's just a, one instance out of many that I've seen over the years of not getting enough education at renewal time to make a, an educated decision, but one that was ultimately going to benefit the district, even though there was no uh, cost savings whatsoever. So that decision to price being equal, not make a change there, ultimately haunted this school district. I think on the topic of um, coverage, uh, you know, value versus cost and, and what that means in terms of the coverage that insurance provides, the way I think of insurance is kind of like if you're a business owner, if you're a public sector administrator, you're, you're kind of like an acrobat, right? You're always kind of balancing uh, requirements and, and different job duties. And the district is continuing to operate doing what they're doing, but if something goes wrong, they basically fall off the, the high wire, right? Or they fall off the, the swing, so to speak. So insurance is kind of a net. Uh, if you buy cheap insurance, it's like buying a net with holes in it, right? So you're, you do have a little bit of safety underneath you, but it really stinks when you fall through the hole and that insurance that you had expected to cover you doesn't cover you. The, the best uh, option is when you can find that, that real sweet spot, sweet spot between price and coverage. So that net has no holes in it. And on top of that, 
whoever's providing that net, either the broker or the insurance company, is also providing you with some other services. I mean, you wouldn't go up on the high wire without, uh, you know, without any training or without any safety equipment. And, uh, you know, who was the, was the Pablo Walinda who used to uh, oh, do yeah. the high wire? He always, he always had the... Uh, uh, you the know, stick, right, they always have the stick, yourself. right, to balance. So, like, uh, you know, maybe your your net comes with a stick, basically, right. to help you balance and keep you from falling off the And what is that? That's a strategy, right? So the strategy says to do that as a, a means of balancing. And, and another great example of that, I had a district that I had went out to a couple of years ago, and cost is always the first thing we're talking about. But we budgeted a number, and we came underneath that number for the renewal. However, the way we spend our dollars is just as important as the ultimate price of the policy. So I go out there and I, I realize that their errors and emissions policy, the limit of liability, was one of the lowest I've ever seen in a district. It was just a million dollars. We have districts that carry 50, 60, and 70 million dollars of total liability limits in these areas. They had a million they were running around with. And you could easily exhaust that through claims expense, defense of it, and then ultimately the payment. So what I figured out was they had funded the deductible of their flood insurance policy, which was only was ten thousand dollars. It was an enormous amount of money. They had bought an NFIP, a government flood uh, policy to basically fill in the gap from 1001 to 10,000. It essentially was very cheap, about $1,000 to cover, you know, one building's worth of $9,000 worth of coverage. It was not the smartest way to deploy your insurance dollars. The amount of money that it cost to buy that underlying policy, we ended up spending to buy an additional $2 million in errors and emissions liability coverage. So that's the difference between saying, all right, first we're going to look at price, but then we're going to say, how are we spending our money? So if we can't get a lower option, are there ways to deploy our dollars in a more efficient fashion that ultimately provides greater protection uh, at the same amount of money that we were already going to spend? Right. And, and it's interesting. We, we talk a lot about not having enough coverage, uh, but what if you have too much? Can you have too much? Uh, and on the PNC side, you know, maybe not. Right, everybody has their own individual needs, of course. Sure. Right, so getting to know the person, the employer that you're speaking with, is right. incredibly important. Uh, but on the benefit side, uh, very, very easy to understand solution. The Direct Ten plan mm -hmm. uh, provides uh, literally the best money uh, that that uh, the best benefits that money can buy. Mm -hmm. um, but if I am a 26-year-old student who just got off of my parents' health plan, and I've seen the doctor one time in the last three years. Do I need to pay $8,000 of my $40,000 salary in order to have the Direct 10 plan? Mm -hmm. um, and, and if I am doing that, you know, that raises the question, why? Right. right. So in that situation, obviously there's other factors at play, but it's very important in that situation for a broker on the health side to educate uh, the employees and the employer mm -hmm. on, on ways that they might be able to save a little bit of money and have insurance uh, that fits their needs. Uh, not insurance that fits um, any particular uh, agenda. And how often when you come across teachers or, or administrators, do they know this information? How often or what percentage of the people, the population that we talk to, are they educated to know this information? So uh, a, a quick story, uh, we were doing a uh, negotiations meeting recently. Um, we went in, we did a, a full-blown educational presentation. We weren't really there to negotiate any, anything down, but we were there to say, listen, this is how you can save a little bit of money out of your paycheck, and this is how the people you represent can do those same things. And we're not telling you you need to change your base plan, but for some of you, it may be in your best interest to go a different route. Uh, so we went through a few different cost scenarios, and one of the women on the negotiations committee um, this was her, I think it was her fifth or seventh negotiation, so, something, she's been around. Right. And, and she looked us dead in the face and said, 
No one has ever explained this to us before. Right. How is that possible? In 21 or 25 years, however long she's been there, not one person has come in and, and just explained how benefits work right. and how what, what saves money, which what costs more money. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and that's, uh, that's a shame uh, because there's some very, very simple things that we can do uh, to, to place more appropriate coverage right. uh, in the hands of those people. And, and why doesn't it happen? So one of the reasons why I think it doesn't happen is, it's, first of all, it's, it's work for the broker, right? He knows what his commission structure is or his payout on a specific account, and every hour that has to be spent, of course, is going to eat into that dollars per hour in, in, in his mind. But what the other part that's more important in my opinion is he might have done that that work that education piece a couple of years ago with this school district but what happens with our boards of education they turn over just like the administration might turn over our boards of ed members might turn over and that same bit of education has to continuously be done because if it's not the people that we felt like we educated five six years ago might no longer be on that board anymore and we have a new group that needs that same either hand holding or education piece in order to make that decision uh, as educated as they did five or six years ago when maybe he made that effort. And I, I, think, I think something uh, that goes back to kind of those original best practices that we talked about is a good broker is really going to almost resell the account every single year. Right. There's ne there should never be an assumption that they're just going to hold on to the business. Insurance is typically written on a one-year basis. There's some, there are some exceptions, but more often than not, it's a 12-month policy. And so at the end of that 12 months, gives the, that board or that administrator the opportunity to reevaluate where are we and what's our best option going forward. That education process has to happen every single year. And what's funny is, in, in our line of work, there's there's actually no requirements. There's no legal requirements that we actually come in. I mean, it's very amorphous. They they require us to be professional and, and act in a professional and ethical manner. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing really laid out. If you look at something, uh, you know, next door to that in terms of financial uh, purchases, buying real estate is kind of analogous to this, right? A lot of people look at a real estate purchase and they don't. Either uh, you know they think about just the purchase price, or they're astute enough to ask, all right, well, what are the other things that go into sure. it, right? I mean, how many uh, people sit there and think about winning the lottery, and then they say, oh yeah, I'm going to buy you know a five million dollar house, and right. they never think about paying the taxes, the closing costs, right. the utilities, and what the is that? That's total cost of ownership. That's right? the total cost of ownership, and for some reason in insurance. A lot of people don't make that connection, right? They right. they just kind of think of the cost of the the insurance at face value, and then they never ask the follow up right. question. So it's our job to almost answer that question without them even asking it. And so, like when we talk about that total cost of risk or total cost of uh, maintaining your health insurance or your health, uh, John, what does that really mean? What are we not thinking about when we think about, all right, here's my bill for my premium, this is my cost now as a result of it. What am I not thinking about that also is going to play into the total cost? Right, so so when, when we're working in the New Jersey public sector on the health benefits side, so, there's so much emphasis on the level of benefits, right? But if you are an employee in that sector, you have two ways uh, that you could be on the hook to pay money. One is at the point of service, so I go to my primary care doctor and I pay a copay, right? Usually 10 bucks or 15 bucks. Yep. The other way is, in the, in the much more expensive way, is out of my paycheck every, every <laughs> month or every 20 weeks, whatever it is, uh, I'm paying a certain amount towards that premium. No one ever looks at, well, how much do I expect to, to pay at the point of service? So how many times do I go to the doctor? 
right? If I went to the doctor two times last year, I know I'm gonna pay 20 bucks, right? Uh, but I am paying out of my paycheck maybe five or $6,000 a year so that I can have a $10 copay mm -hmm. if I go to the doctor. If, if I'm uh, somebody who's uh, maybe single and, and paying that much money, and I know I'm just gonna go twice, and I don't really have any underlying health conditions, why wouldn't I buy a policy that maybe cost me two thousand dollars out of my paycheck, right. and maybe it cost me forty dollars two times to go see a primary care physician, mm -hmm. but I just saved three thousand dollars. Right, and that that part not knowing that piece is usually what we come across. the The average person we talk with doesn't understand that, but they can, and they usually do quickly once it's conveyed to them. It all makes sense, mainly because it's just simple math, right? We're just saying here your most expensive part of your insurance policy is those first couple dollars. So if you're not using it, you're paying for it and it's essentially wasteful. You can remove those dollars from that policy, making yours much cheaper to pay for. And then if you need to deploy those dollars later on as a result of a copay or a deductible or a retention or coinsurance, you can, but you understand that you're relatively healthy. And that requires though some bit of work on the employee or the business owner, right? And if you don't do that or you're not willing to do that, what ends up happening is you usually fall into just paying more for your coverage as a result of not wanting to take on the effort it will eventually incur to make a more educated decision with the way you purchase it. So Matt, what, what is that like on the P&C side when we talk about the total cost of risk? John's speaking about co-insurance and co-payments. What are we talking about also on the on the PNC side? So uh, on the PNC side, we have similar structure with property insurance. So property has typically a deductible and maybe a co-insurance cost. Uh, for anyone who's unfamiliar with that terminology, the deductible is what you have to pay up front, right? So if you've ever had an auto claim where you had to have your car worked on, you know, and they, they the insurance company says, all right, that's $5,000 in damage. We're going to cut your check for 4000 they're expecting you to, to pay the other $1,000, mm. uh, you know, in addition to, you know, what you've paid them in insurance premiums. Mm. And the co-insurance piece is similar also to, to health insurance, where if you have a, a, a total loss of, say, your house uh, and it's valued at $100,000 and you have an 80% co-insurance, they're actually going to reduce the, the value of what you're uh, what you're getting paid out to reconstruct that house based off of what that current co carried coinsurance is on the property policy. So uh, the other areas that you can look at, and, and I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole, but you know, we talked about flood insurance before. A big consideration with flood insurance is how the loss is valued. And so you know, a flood policy can value a loss at actual cash value or ACV. It could also value a loss at something called replacement cost, or RC. Actual cash value is what people are uh, used to when it comes to, you know, all right, I'm going to resell my car. What's it worth? Well, that the value that you purchased it at gets depreciated over time. And so that's what actual cash value is, whereas replacement cost will actually pay you to replace what you lost in the same uh, kind, quality, condition, and uh, functionality that it was being used before. And that that's uh, regardless of whether or not it costs less to give you the same in the present day or if it costs you more than you originally purchased for in the present day. So that kind of conversation really has to be made prior to the sale because you know obviously once you have a claim it's way too late to have that conversation. Um, so yeah, that's one of the best practices. I think I would I would sum things up, uh, you know, sum this this topic up with is hold your broker accountable 
right? Make sure that they're just not showing you a dollar figure and you say, okay, that's great. Ask them some questions, do some due diligence. Because at the end of the day, they're supposed to be professional, they're supposed to be looking out for you. But you know what? Whether it's inadvertent or it's conscious, sometimes they're gonna fly by some of the details and the devil is in the details. Because when the house is already burned down, when the building is already flooded, it's, it's way too late in order to, to sum that up and, and fix those gaps. And we've, we've talked about uh, policies, we've talked about uh, employees and, and how much they're paying, but I think one of the other topics uh, that, that gets talked about probably not enough is broker commission, sure. right? Because it's, it's very easy for somebody to low bid an RFP mm -hmm. uh, in order to find a way to, to get in there. Right. Um, but is that right? Uh, sure. are, are they providing the same services? Uh, or on the flip side, if you have a broker and you've, you've been with them for 30 years, do you know how much you're paying them? Right. Uh, do Do you think they're earning that keep? Right. Uh, or is there something better out there? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think those are things that that maybe don't get addressed enough, um, and and that maybe people just kind of overlook. Uh, oftentimes, even though you legally have to disclose your commission in New mm -hmm. Jersey, do you know how much you're paying your broker? Mm -hmm. Sure. Have you asked? Mm -hmm. And what's it like on your side as far as uh, the commission structure and that that price competition? How does it look on your side? Because it's a bit different on ours. Sure. Uh, so in our marketplace, we're seeing a few things. Uh, if we, let me take a step back. In other marketplaces around the country, uh, we're looking at a switch from a commission basis to a per employee per month basis, mm -hmm. right? So you get paid a flat fee based on how many people you represent. Uh, New Jersey's still on a commission basis uh, for the most part. Um, and that's in not just public sector, private sector, and pretty much every market segment. Uh, but what we're seeing is, is price becoming a more important part of the RFP grading rubric. Um, and we're beginning to see um, some business administrators who want to introduce a flat fee right. to make it a little bit more transparent. So instead of them paying their bill every month and then us getting uh, our, commission. our commission sent to us by the insurance company, mm -hmm. they want to send us our commission check uh, themselves, kind of like the way they would pay an attorney. And example. it makes sense because it, it removes a bit of that, that moral hazard, right? If you were getting paid as a percentage of the premium, where is your incentive to ever do anything to reduce the premium, right? Because you're essentially effectively reducing your own take-home member. And that, by able to do that, you're able to keep your, your broker A honest and it creates that competition where they're saying, okay, I no longer compare or care at all about what the premium increase is going to look like because I know what my number is that I'm taking home regardless. I'm just going to compete against them on who is the better broker. Right, and, and, and I'll give you a prime example. If, if you're a health insurance broker and your client gets a 30% increase, do you deserve a 30% raise? Absolutely not. Has a work one up, right? I mean, the, <laughs> the employee count is still the same, right? Right. So that, that fee measurement that you were talking about, that totally is, uh, is, is based upon the amount of work, right? So let's say if you were a school district and there was a, a regionalization of two or three schools and you took on a larger bit of work as a result of the increased employees, there would be more work, right? So Absolutely. More pay for more work. But in the event of it just performing poorly and having a large increase, the actual work itself may not 
right. one up at that same time. Well, I think everything is also relative. I think what we went through with um, you know implementing the Affordable Care Act. I think what we've gone through uh, after Hurricane Irene and Hurricane Sandy with the hard property markets. It's all relative, right? So the amount of work might actually go up with that course, additional thirty percent, right? Um, that broker might have had the bust their rear end mm. in order to go out and get twenty different quotes, right. and that thirty percent increase might actually be a good proposition right. versus all of the rest of the opportunities that are out there. Um, and that's another thing that I would say is when, once you get to the proposal, you know, the the table that the, the proposal happens at, mm. if there is bad news, first of all, your broker should be telling you ahead of time, right? Sure. They should be setting the table for it. But the other thing is, all right, you know, are you bringing me just one quote and telling me that I have to pay 30% more or justify it? What other insurance companies did you go to? What did they say? What kind of, of prices they put out there? Because at the end of the day, especially in the public sector, mm. you have to... Uh, rationalize to the, the, the taxpayer right. why they're paying what they're paying for what they're getting, right? Of course. Um, and then that kind of leads me into one other point is there's a certain level of, of salesmanship that also has to happen on the part of the administrator, whoever the res representative is at the, the public meeting, right? Uh, when you have another broker come in and lowball their fee mm. and they're going to charge five or $10,000 less, the public just sees that lower mm. amount. And they, they might be fickle and just want to make that purchase the same way that right. they do their personal auto insurance. But it, it, has to, you know, it has to come from an administrator or whoever the decision maker is in the process to really make that case to the, the taxpayer to say, look, we understand that there's another alternative out there that's cheaper, but it's cheap for a reason. And sure. you know, that, that extra five or 10 or whatever the amount of money is that we might pay to have this professional working for us mm -hmm. in the long run is gonna pay off in, you know, in multitudes higher than what we would end up paying in, in the present day. Right, right. And, and, and I would say, uh, taking back to that 30% increase, you are less likely to have a shock like that mm -hmm. if you're shopping on strategic value Yep. And, and not on price, yep, uh, right. because in, in that event, most likely, uh, some sort of cost containment measure would have been taken to prevent something like that from happening. Right. Yeah. And on our side, it's, it's a little bit different. We have our socialized commission structure on the property and casualty side. Everyone is paid that percentage of the premium, uh, and that is it. But there are a lot more insurance companies, a lot more competition than, let's say, on maybe the, the medical side. We, there could be uh, 20, 30 players in any type of a market at any one time that could do it, that could give a better number, but the coverage is not nearly the same. We don't have that equal to or better than uh, requirement when we're looking to shop. Sometimes uh, it's just it is what it is. The coverage is better in certain places than it is somewhere else, and uh, you have to always be cognizant of that. But because we're a socialized commission structure, uh, it allows you as the purchaser or the business administrator or the business manager uh, of a town or a school to make a decision based purely on the ability of the broker, which I think puts you at an advantage, you can say to ourselves, all right, listen, if all of the attorneys in the entire state cost the same amount of money tomorrow, would I still have the same attorney? And you might not answer that with a resounding yes. You might have said, I'd rather go to a different guy, but I can't afford him because he's $400 an hour versus the 150 I'm paying. In our circumstance on the property and casualty side, you should shop that as vigorously as you do the price because it's the same regardless. So going to find better talent is always going to help benefit uh, your district or your municipality in the future. Uh, and, and that part is enormous. So everyone, uh, thank you for listening in. Please, please feel free to let us know what you'd like to hear about on a future episode. Leave us a comment below, send us an email, or follow us on our social media handles in the description box below. Uh, until next time, thank you for listening in, and we hope uh, to have you on next time for the next episode of Call Your Broker. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.